Hey you guys, Steel here. Just a quick spoiler alert. It took us a little while to get details on the phone for the call-in show. We do get him and he absolutely kills it. Such great insight into both the production of Rogue One and The Force Awakens and just some heartwarming tales. But most of it was in the supporter bonus show, the, the supporter hour. And... That bugged me. That really bugged me. It is Christmas. I know some people need podcasts. They have to work Christmas Day. They're traveling. And Dee was just so positive and and just such a delight that I'm just going to let the podcast on the free feed run the entire almost two hours. So Merry Christmas, Steel Wars listeners. I love you. Getting to do this podcast is a true joy in my life. So I hope you enjoy this special little Christmas bonus, almost two hour version of the Steel Wars live call in show. It's a real good one. Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys, welcome to the Steel Wars call-in show. I am comedian Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars and I am waiting. We are very excited to have details who played uh, several characters in the Star Wars universe, in The Force Awakens and in Rogue One. We will be uh, taking your calls on... If you are overseas, and by that I mean out of America, even though I'm doing it from Australia today, it is plus one on your Skype, then uh, 646-668-8360. Brad, how you doing, man? I, uh, I, I, I'm not sure Dee's having a bit of trouble logging in. Uh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, what, what's, what's been uh, happening? How, how many Rogue One uh, screenings have you had thus far? Uh, three as of so far. And then uh, and I've got a couple more lined your, up. Before. Which one was your favorite? When did they do their best? <clears throat> um, it's hard. I would say first or second. I mean, the first I went with family, so it was, you know, it's always, you know, more emotional that way. <clears throat> the second time I... I went to the, the, the one with the moving seats. Ah, oh, so tell us about that. Tell me about the moving seats. Uh, well, basically, that's it. The, the seats move. But uh, when the Death Star is going <laughs> off. Oh, my God. I, mean, I, was, I was so excited. And you were like, yeah, that's, yeah that's, the seats move. You ever seen a seat before? Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll, no, it is. It is good. I mean, when the Death Star is going off, the seat is shaking the whole time. So it really, really makes it feel more powerful, if uh, <clears throat> that makes any sense. And then when and, the X-Wings are flying and all that, the seat moves with that. What, what is that called? Is that the 4D or? Uh, where I am at, it's called D-Box. Uh, D-Box? I guess, yeah, D-Box. It's, I guess it's the company name. 
behind that. Ah. Yeah. Very cool. And um, what, what sort of seeing it three times, I'm, I'm a two person, a two viewer. I've had a, uh, a pretty hectic week. Uh, what, what, what stands out as your highlight in the film? Oh, the Vader bit for sure. Hashtag ignite the red. You will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who, who's your first, who's your favorite rebel to get killed? The guy that gets the saber through the door or the guy that gets choked into the roof. Yeah, the guy on the roof, for sure. The guy on the roof is the poor guy. <laughs> now, there's one thing um, in, in the Steel Wars listener safe haven on Facebook that we've... The one, one of the points that we've sort of been trying to work out is Bodie Rook and, and when he gets his head read about how he... or when he gets back to normal um you know Sora says that he's going to lose his mind and it like it's it's sort of just like does it just come back or did that storyline sort of just get dropped seeing it three times how do you feel about that pop well i'm also working on the uh audiobook as well right now and they do mm-hmm. <clears throat> explain that a bit oh great so so in bodhi's mind he he's kind of can't tell what's happening now, if that makes sense. So like, there's one point where he's thinking of his first kiss, when when uh, Baze is talking to him, and he's thinking about his first kiss. He's like, and then, so I guess when they're calling him pilot and they're asking if he's the pilot, and you know they're asking about Galen. I guess that's sort of bringing the most recent memories in front, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a little. Yeah, that's interesting. That that makes a little bit more sense. But it's also one of those things where it's like, I shouldn't have to go on a radio show to talk to a guy that's been on um, that that, that's read it. Interesting. Did you hear that Saul Guerrero is going to be in the next couple of episodes of Rebels? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. I probably should get caught up on that now. Interesting. yeah, I, I think there's going to be. I you know, I don't want to brag, but I'm caught up. I'm I'm, I'm up to date, you guys. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I definitely think there was when that came out, there'll be a lot of people scrambling to um, get their lips around those episodes to catch up because on the on the last call in show with Hawes, we like Hawes sort of it was before it got announced, and he said, "Oh, the next two episodes." you know, Ghost of Geonosis. And then there was some source book or maybe some timeline for Saul Guerrero saying that um, he went, he led a mission to Geonosis and he, and, and, and Hawes, he had the prediction. He didn't have the inside knowledge. He just uh, uh, put two and two together. And what do you think? I, I was sort of saying that I thought that it would have, you know, Rebels would have led in to, like the Rebels episode we last saw would have been, they were at Yavin. And as it turns out, we do get the tie-in, but it's it's two years before. What's your preference? Yeah, I would have preferred if it tied right in and, you know, Ezra died or something right before. But, uh, 
but I guess they're probably just trying to milk as many seasons as they can out of Rebels. I mean, from a business point of view, that's that's probably what I would do. But it would have been would have been far more enjoyable if they had ended it, and then we would know who's in the Ghost that we see in because uh, we know Chopper's Chopper's alive at least. So mm-hmm. It would have been nice to know who else makes it. <clears throat> that would have been a yeah yeah. Well, well doesn't it by? I don't know if I'm taking things too literally or whatever, but doesn't it mean that like Ezra and Kanan, the clock's ticking, yeah? If, if we've got to get rid of our uh, other Force users before Luke Skywalker comes along, um, don't, I'm, I'm not very... Um, I'm just saying they should have life insurance. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, do, do you think? <clears throat> yeah. Like, do you think they'll? Um, like, Dave Filoni seems very, very. Um, he doesn't like to kill people. Do you think? Um, you know, like you know, Darth Maul has, has, has bounced back several times, and uh, Ahsoka. I, I, I thought the Ahsoka potential the way she died at the end of season two to um, Darth Vader, I thought that was just the perfect, like, gripping ending for Ahsoka. Um, do you think we will see, you know, and, and it is, you know, it's a kid's cartoon on Disney XD. Is, is it possible that we'll see the um, the death of one of those two characters? What's your call? I would love it, but... As long as Dave Filoni is running it, I don't see it happening. Just because he he loves those characters too much, it seems. If <clears throat> I mean, it would it, it would ha- it would make sense for the rest because you never hear about any other Jedi. But I mean, he's probably gonna you know try to get away with it by saying they're in hiding or something. <clears throat> That's. Enough hiding. I want to saber through the gut, like the good old days. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know for what sure. I'm talking about. Oh, I guess Revenge of the Sith that, that had some of the good old days, but um, yeah, it's uh, like I understand why they, you know, why it would be. It is very hard to to sync up those two stories, you know, perfectly the way I and, and probably many other. Um, Star Wars fans had imagined that it would, you know, it would essentially just, you know, the next week cross over. But it it also creates an interesting countdown to the Rogue One timeline to see what happens, and maybe that will add a little bit of a a certain bit of like um urgency to the show that you know that um there it is possible that we're going to lose a few of the characters um and i i really hope that we yeah i i like i hope you've only sort of got one run with this one you know you can't sort of go backwards in time to rogue one once a more time so i i hope um, the, the the producers are, are bold, and we get a, a bold 
like finale. I, I, th- I love Rogue One. Like I think it might be second to Empire for me, at least right now. And uh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe hopefully they'll get Gareth Edwards back because he sort of makes you feel for characters that you don't even know the name of. Like uh, there's the when the Death Troopers show up they're running away and the one rebel gets shot and the other guy goes to try to pick him up because they know each other. And it's like, he's very good at making you care about a character that you don't know much about. <clears throat> and I think that's something that I want to see more of in star Wars. I, I, I haven't seen that. That, that sounds like a, um, a little bit of a homage to one of the greatest, most touching moments in film history. Um, Ewok trying to wake other Ewok. Yeah, but then in this case, the rebel gets shot as well, and he has to take off, which is, you know, it does, it's a much darker version of that. Actually, maybe not, because I guess the Ewok's cute, and that's sort of depressing to see him. Thank you, thank you. That's that's exactly where I was going to jump in and uh, have a go at you there. They're little teddy bears. They're much more important than boring old... Uh, humans. Humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I would agree with that. <clears throat> the cuter they are, the more important they are. <laughs> That's very true. That's my motto. That is my motto. Um, and how, how have the crowds been uh, over the three screenings? Uh, not, not that. T- in, like talkative lots of laughs for sure when uh you know k2's on lots of gasps when vader shows up my second viewing in the d box there was the a kid behind me who every time something cool came up he would just yell awesome which it really really made that that screening tons of fun and uh <laughs> he uh he definitely was an empire guy which is I'm an empire guy as well. So this kid is, this is kid is me 10 years ago cheering, cheering when uh, Bodhi gets blown up, cheering when the death troopers come in. That's uh, the, yeah. I, I, I went to see the force awakens in a, in a really tiny cinema. Like, you know, it was like my eighth time and, and I was down where I grew up in, uh, in Rosebud and I went to this, you know, like like a ridiculously small cinema and the there was these kids it was school holidays and there was these kids sort of dissecting the movie like trying to you know like asking each other questions of what was happening and like going oh bb8 and i would not by any stretch of the imagination want that on my first or second viewing but getting a little junior director's commentary in the cinema on the seventh viewing was uh, like quite endearing just to like, I, I don't know. It's sort of funny just to see new kids get like really amped on star Wars. Even when um, I remember I had this moment at celebration in London, there was an, a C3PO, like a really good C3PO um, walked past in costume. And this little girl just pointed like at her dad and just went C3PO. And I was just like, yeah, she gets it. She knows what's going on. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's exactly what what I was experiencing that that viewing it. You almost sort of experience the movie from a younger point of view because you know they are, if that makes sense. It it's it it makes it very enjoyable experiencing something through a kid's eyes. Oh, I guess yeah. Um, you know, if we're waiting for, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I'm just Dee's just having such a problem getting onto this thing. Um, wait there, but you go. Well, I was gonna uh, ask the question I called in for just while we wait for D. It's it's not necessarily D specific. I would like to hear his take if he gets on, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I was gonna. Rogue One sort of solves the plot hole that is the most annoying plot hole when people think they're smart because, oh, why is there a big hole in the Death Star? It sort of solves that. So I was wondering if you think they can solve other plot holes with more spinoff movies, like maybe the Han Solo will solve the 12 parsecs, even though parsec is a unit of distance, not time. If if you know what I'm saying, if maybe we yeah. get like an Obi Wan, I don't know. I I find that stuff like 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 the 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 Death Star one. You know, it was a pretty major like that that the plot like that that the exhaust port is is essentially one of the main parts of the film in the end that that he did that and you know that was his <clears throat> act of defiance. But I don't know. I really worry when they're going to go back and like, oh, oh like <sighs> midi-chlorian, all these things that we've heard about, like, you know, the, the, the bounty hunter on Ord Mandel and, 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 and the Parsecs and stuff. It's, I don't know. I just, I get worried that, you know, with this traveling back in time, Star Wars universe, where we're going back and, and you can put in these Easter eggs that it might get just a bit heavy handed. Um, you know, like the Ponda Barber cameo, like, like I'm not going to yeah. cry, cry about it, but it, it definitely see, it was sort of just like, Oh, like, you know, uh, apart from the, what what was he doing there? And and then he's you know he's going to be in Tatooine very shortly. Um, I don't know it just it just gets a bit rich. And, and then I I also think the other thing is just like yeah, just enjoy it, whatever. But it's you know I'm, I'm having I'm having nerd nerd conflict on this one, Brad. Uh, where, where do you stand with, with stuff like that? Um. Well, the. The Pond Bob one in particular didn't bother me, but it does. Then you got to try to wonder, like, why does he, how does he get to Tatooine? And so, yeah, I guess if they go into too much detail, like, I wouldn't want to know everything, like the the Sabak game or whatever, how he wins the Falcon, all that stuff. But, uh, uh, little answering a little, like, uh, you know, any plot holes, like, well, I'll, I'll give you an example that will hit close to home for you. What if they do an Obi-Wan spinoff and it starts off with him working in a droid factory or something on 
on uh, Tatooine. And he just throws his hands up and says, that's it, I quit. I can't even tell the difference between any droids anymore. And then there you go. That now it explains why oh. he doesn't know who R2 is. <laughs> Are you happy with yourself? Yeah, I am. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting trolled on this thing now. That is crazy. Wait, we've got uh, someone else. We'll see if this is D. Skype caller, who might you be? Hi, it's Ross from London. Oh, hey, Ross. We are having a chaotic time trying to get details on this line. <laughs> um, oh, well, you get D. All right, no sweat. No sweat, Ross. This is crazy. Oh, man. What are we going to do, Brad? We're, we're short a Star Wars actor. Well, I mean, I'm no substitute for sure. But I'll still tell you one thing. <laughs> this might be my favorite episode. Ah, oh, nice, <laughs> nice, very nice. Well, uh, stay on the, stay on the line with us, Brad, and we'll we'll see what Chris is up to. He's on Skype in the UK, I believe. Uh, what's happening, Chris? What's on your mind uh, tonight in the UK? Um, yeah, just wanted to uh, sort of check back with you. I, obviously, I went the other night to see the film with uh, some more casual fans um, and asked them. Well, they thought of Tarkin with the um, yeah, CG. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So, because I've been listening to some other shows, and especially like people like Slash Film have been less than kind, should we say, about the um, the CG on Tarkin and Leia. Um, so I, I asked the guys I went with and just said, well, you know, the effect's not really there, is it? And then they just turned around and started picking on me, saying that I was being too hard on Lucasfilm and that it's a work in progress and uh, they thought it was they thought it was fantastic um, a lot of them didn't even think it, Tarkin was going to turn around when they saw the reflection on the um, on the window they thought um, he would just they, we would, he would just talk and he would see his reflection so I thought it, what you guys thought of um, you know other people's response to the CG because I know there's been a lot of discussion about it both positive and negative in the last day or two yeah i i don't know i it's it's weird it's like i don't know on that one i just i just give it a pass because it's so amazing like like i know it's not really him but i'm still just like pretty good job i don't know i just i'm willing i I find i find the layer one a little bit weirder because it kind of just lingers on her a bit too much or something or is there something awkward Mm. about the 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 editing of it but um what what did you think of tark and brad how are you uh processing this uh i've seen a few times it still doesn't bother me but, I mean, whenever – he sounds like Tarkin, which is what really sells it for me, I think. Because when you hear Tarkin, even if it were worse, in my mind, I would still see Tarkin, if that makes sense. It's 
I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's like I'm stretching or what, but as for casual, I went with a few casual fans as well. And they didn't even know that Peter Cushing, you know, who he was or why he they didn't know that it was, was CGI. So it's sort of like, it's only us nerds that have a problem with it. I think. Us nerds are the worst. <laughs> We're horrible. Now, yeah, I, I've spoken to people that were sort of like, oh, real, oh, all right. And then they've sort of gone, oh, yeah, I guess he looked a bit weird, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's, it's a tremendous thing. But the other thing is, I, like, how would you guys have felt if he didn't turn around and he was constantly just looking out the window or in a smoke-filled room? Like, like I don't know. Like, as, as much or as... constant hologram? As, oh, hologram, I can, I can handle the hologram yeah. because that's sort of a good... Um, that, that's a good sheet. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I just give it a pass. I, I just go, well, it was amazing. It was such an accomplishment, and I, I, I sort of cut him some slack. I know some people, they're just like, oh, no, nah, that was... It just stands out to me so badly. I, I think it's quite an achievement. Yeah, it just seemed like when I when I've heard other people being negative about it, it's been people who have got their own podcast or their reviewer or a blogger, like the guys on. I'm picking on the guys from Slash Film, but basically they went to the extent of doing cartwheels of how do you do the film of not including Tarkin because they didn't like it that much. And start mm-hmm. saying maybe you do this and maybe you're doing that. So it just seems that everyone who who's either a really active fan or in the industry and who are paid basically to talk about this sort of thing daily didn't like it at all. <clears throat> and then, you know, most most the other people um have liked it. I mean, I thought it was I thought they were going when they heard the rumor about Leia. I thought they were going to do like what they did with Michael Douglas and Ant Man. So I thought they would get Carrie Fisher in, and she would act out the scene, and they would de-age her, so to speak, because that's what they did with Michael Douglas, and they used all the they 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 got um, scans of him from Wall Street. So the Michael Douglas in Ant Man at the beginning is Wall Street Michael Douglas, which they put on over the top of him. So I thought they were going to do that rather than get another person and then try and put her face on the other person's head, so to speak. So I, th- I thought that was what they were going to do, but I was still really impressed by it. I mean, anyway, so... how, how old did um, Michael Douglas get de-aged in Ant-Man? Like, like how uh, many years? I think, four, I think he's 40 in Wall Street, about that. 40-ish, 45, something like that. And he's 70 years old. Yeah, because yeah, this, yeah. Yeah, this is a 40-year de-aging. Um, mm. and, and it seemed like Lucasfilm, they don't really want to go into how it all happened um, until January. They're just letting people go watch it and, and ponder and stuff. And then I guess we'll see featurettes and all that sort of stuff about, you know, how it actually was done. But it seems in both cases that there was an actor or an actress. Um, and then they sort of built 
like the face they, they acted it out and then it, it got built around there so it, it, it seems like yeah. a different oh. process even in um you know Westworld um the de-aging in that is is it seems to be that that style the the Michael Douglas style of de-aging sort of thing rather than find someone young and then sort of try to paint um mm. their face on on there but mm. I, I don't know i i loved how tell us what was their what was their tarkinless rogue one how did that play out oh they were talking about maybe we do a hologram instead maybe we just show the back of his head like you mentioned earlier they were they were they were really going to the lengths of i don't like it it's the uncanny valley you know they they were really against it but i don't know it's, it's difficult sometimes because I, I, I listen to like several film different, different film shows as well as yours and other things and you, you, you do get like wildly different um, views on the same subjects um, and a lot of time <clears throat> you'll see like a common thread within like the reviewing community and they'll pick like three or four things and just go to town on it like I mean, the, 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 the biggest one I know it's not Star Wars but the biggest one in the last few years was the whole Dark Knight Rises, how does Batman get back to Gotham City thing, which everyone wouldn't let go and just repeatedly went on. So it just felt like they were, they decided... Oh, can, can, I just, can, can I just say with that, if regular listeners, you know, or if there are regular listeners on the line, I'm sure there are, <laughs> and there's, there's, there's been things in Star Wars where I've, it's given me an aneurysm, just going, like, the, you know, things like, um, Leah remembering Padme and that that George Lucas sort of that like didn't take that into account. But with <laughs> that Dark Knight Rises, how how did Batman get back? It's like, oh yeah, that doesn't make sense. But it's Batman, so who cares? I'll just watch the film. Like it is, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's like to be not so ingrained in a fandom. It's just. <laughs> it makes, sometimes it makes it so much more fun because you just go, yeah. Eh, who cares? I'm moving yeah. well, on. Could I jump in on the Batman thing quick? <laughs> I am a big comic nerd, so a lot of times Batman will, Superman will turn around and Batman's gone and he's X-raying through all the buildings and somehow he's gone. So Batman does impossible things. That's sort of like the uh, appeal of the character. So, I mean, for that, I don't know why anyone would complain about that. Yeah, I, I just I an example, because, like, they were going to the point of, like, yeah. oh, could we not just see another scene of him getting back? And I was like, really? Do we really yeah. need to see no, him, I, like, you know? And it, it, it's a similar <clears> thing to what the sort of thread they were following on um, um, on, on Today Talking About Tarkin. They were, like, going to those nth degree to try and, like, paint around or, or find a a different way of doing it because they didn't like it um, because they didn't like that. I mean, I think everyone, I, I, I cut it a lot of slack because we're talking about doing something that's pretty much impossible to do a few years back. And we've, and we've got to start somewhere, so to speak with the technology. Um, yeah. And I, I think a lot of people give it a pass, but people who, I feel that people who are in the sort of, who, who are covering film uh, at the moment aren't, aren't going to give it a fair, fair shout really and, and and they're just gonna stick the boots in but you know i i agree with what Steele says you know certain things especially the whole i remember my mother 
when I was a day old or hours old. You know, I, I, it, that's just that doesn't work because he, you know, either forgot or didn't care to uh, to put that yeah, in. The Leo thing drives me mad. Yeah, I've got something about that. Just for people that are just tuned in, I know it's a live stream, so it's the one time on podcast that people do just tune in. We're trying to get through to details. If it doesn't, it seems like it might you might be having too many technical issues, so we will reschedule, but we'll continue along with this chat because Brad and Chris, a, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm honoured to have such uh, well-articulated listeners of the show but i've got someone else on skype we'll find out who this is could it be details skype caller who are you and where are you calling from and you might have ross again ah this is ah so we've got ross ross you are now on the show we're going to have a four-way discussion i'm i'm moving forward with this with all my uk friends ross what are your uh it looks like we're going to have to do a a reboot on the uh, the details podcasting franchise, um, which is fine. I, I I desperately want to speak to details. He is one of the most energetic uh, Star Wars fans out there. And if if people don't know, he played uh, Kratnus in uh, The Force Awakens in Maz's Castle, and he's also a droid in Rogue One. And I don't know. To my mind, he's the type of guy that you're so happy got to work on Star Wars because he sometimes those, those, the background characters, they're sort of thrown into it and they don't, like they sort of catch up later on that it's really, you know, quite a momentous thing. But yeah, details from day one was just every day couldn't wait to get back to work. So uh, we will catch up with details. And of course he was my guest on episode 100 of the Steel Wars podcast recorded live at Star Wars Celebration in London. And when he talks about getting to walk onto the Millennium Falcon um, ramp, it is uh, it's a magic moment. But Ross, what are your, what are your Rogue One thoughts, mate? Uh, first of all, I just want to say thanks for the early UK times. It's helping me out, calling in. Um, I, and I, yeah, I, I, I do... I, I appreciate that. It is sometimes tough to schedule shows that are applicable um, to all the audiences. So in, in Australia at the moment, it's, uh, it's about 25 to 9 Thursday morning. And I should point out tomorrow, and hopefully it will go a lot smoother than this, uh, on UK time, 10 p.m., we'll have Anthony Bresnikan on the Thursday, the 22nd, 10 p.m., um, mm. If you're in America on the East Coast, it's 5 p.m. Thursday and 2 p.m. in L.A. time. And in Australia, it's 9 a.m. So, but what's on your mind, Ross? Um, oh, sorry, yeah, still, no, one was quick thing. Oh, yeah. When you said Anthony Bresnikan, do you mean the Bres? Is that who you're talking about? I do. I, I do mean oh, okay. the press. Sorry, everyone. Oh, sorry. sorry I, yeah. I'm not talking the talk. Yeah. I'm not talking the talk. I do like that a trope of this episode is Ross not getting to say his opinion on Rogue One. Every time he goes to do it, <laughs> someone jumps in. The floor sorry, is buddy. yours, Ross. Tell us what we need to know. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll, just I'll just jump in. I'll just jump in. It would be hilarious <laughs> if you said, I have not seen it yet. And I did jump in just to be annoying. Go, Ross. I'm putting myself on hold. 
right. Um, yeah, I was looking forward to speaking to details because uh, I went to your London live show where you spoke to Tom Bell, who played alongside details in Mazda's Castle. So I was looking forward to speaking to him about, uh, you know, some droids and who his favorite droids and characters were. But the thing I just wanted to ask uh, ask you guys about Rogue One was um, that I don't really think there was any filler characters in this in this movie, and some of them were fleshed out a lot more than I, what I expected. Like Bodhi Rook, I know they went back and you know improved his character. It was a little bit lacking in to begin with, and even people like the Rebel officer who orders Cassian to kill Galen, like he has a bigger role than what I ex- initially expected him to have. Um, so I just wanted to know which character or characters that weren't necessarily your favorite characters, but you were most pleased and surprised about how more fleshed out they were than what you expected before going into the movie. I would say Cassian. I, I don't know. I, I, in, in the, in the trailers, he didn't. I don't know. He he just it didn't seem like there was much to him or something. It was, yeah. I don't know. It just he he just seemed like he used to stand there with his arms crossed, and you know there was oh this is the thing. This is what you've done to me, Ross. I I go to then think of the things in the trailers that he did say, and then I go back into the 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 loop of like wasn't in the film, wasn't in the film, but. I I don't know. I, I kind of thought that one one like one criticism I've I've heard of the film is it's not big on character arcs, and I kind of think that Cassian maybe has the most of of like a character arc that he's sort of in the end like sort of realizes maybe that like his methods might've been a bit too far. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I found yeah, Brody then, yeah. Rook a little bit confusing with the whole, um, the, the mind warp thing. I, I, I just, I wasn't sure when it clicked back and I, I think I'm going to have to, um, get that novel and, and, and find out about Bodhi Rook's first kiss. That sounds like some a few hot pages there. <laughs> but um, what, what about you, Brad? I mean, that, that, um, who are you um, sort of charmed to find out more about? Um, uh, probably, yeah, Cassian, the, that, that line he says where he's been in the rebellion since, or he's been fighting since he was six years old. Like, I didn't think we would get something that, that deep that, like, it really draws you into the character. That and uh, Bay's Bay's believing in the Force once Sharut dies, like it, it had a lot of impact for me personally. That I didn't think we would get stuff like that. And and what do you think, Chris? Uh, it's got to be a full house on Cassian because I, I I didn't think we were going to get that much backstory on him, and he's sort of like the black ops opera, operative of the movie. He's the one that's been going out and finding information out and recruiting people and doing some of the more dirty deeds for the rebellion. So I, I didn't think that that um, he would get that much backstory. And, and the argument between him and Jin in the, in the, um, 
in the shuttle. I, I thought that was great, and I, I didn't expect anything like that at all. Because that's not what we sort of saw in the trailers, because we saw that weird shot that's not in the film where they're both in the cockpit and they do the whole, you know, if I, if you're doing this, I'm going to go with you. And she says, good. And then he says, good. Do you remember that? I remember. <laughs> it's part of, oh. I saw an article which you'll love today called 26, 26 shots that are not in the film. So if you <laughs> Google that, you can, you can go back through it and count all the, oh, yeah, I remember that one. Um, so yeah, that, I don't think we're going to get enough from Cassian, but I, I, I love Chirrut and Baze as well. I thought their stuff was really good. Um, but I was just very surprised that, that, that Cassian got as much time as he did. Um, oh, it, was, it was quite interesting. I think we might have someone on the line. Uh, 442, who are you and where are you calling from? It's details. <laughs> Yeah! <laughs> All right. I'll just put everyone back on hold for a sec. And uh, details. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> Having a nightmare trying to connect to you. <laughs> but other than that, I'm good. Excellent. Excellent. We've got um, on, on the open stream, we've got about 16 minutes to go. But if people do call in and go on hold, they continue can continue listening um, in to overtime. Tell us, awesome. Dee, about um, your character in Rogue One, buddy. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I'm going to have to go really quick, aren't I, to fill in this time. Um do you remember, like, remember early on in the year, um, I saw you at the Star Wars celebration and you'd seen little bits and pieces when they were teasing Rogue One and they showed you this artist illustration of how the original team looked. Do you remember that? Yes. And there was that big, there was like a big monster in the, like a sort of like a, a green rookie or right. something. Yeah, that's right. There was like a giant creature with another little creature on its back. But um, to the far left of that picture was the droid that I was being kitted out for, which was L1. And that was the first physical prototype that was made leading up to K2SO. So we spent, uh, God knows um, how many weeks, months, um, tweaking this, uh, this gorgeous, this amazing droid outfit um, that fitted, fitted like a glove, but it was so comfortable to wear. And um, yes, I was, I was leading up to be that droid that was alongside the group. And it was when we'd finished building this thing and I had turned up on set one day and um, had, um, went to meet Neil and we had a chat and I was doing some movement bits and pieces. Um, it was then that we were, he was looking at it and thinking, well, obviously we need to take this thing a stage further. And there was a meeting that I'd also had um, in rehearsal with Gareth Edwards because this droid is like a tactical droid that's been hijacked and um, turned into like a rebel droid. And um, it, it was very important for him to find out whether I could actually run in that suit. Now, that suit uh, isn't too different from a 3PO suit, which means that even at the knees, 
um, you haven't got that much movement going on. And the most amount of running I could do was like um, C-3PO does in Empire Strikes Back, when they're on the Cloud City landing platform and he's looking around and then he has to catch up and he does that little run. That's about as much as I could do in that suit. And I'd said to Gareth, okay, so he's a tactical droid, um, Imperial, or he's an ex-tactical Imperial droid. Um, is he one of those tactical um, droids that is with, stood with the commanding officers at the base yelling out these commands, and when it's time to evacuate, they're the first on the ship and they leave? Or is this a tactical droid that's actually out in the field? Because if he's out in the field, then these legs need to be redesigned with pistons or something like that. And um, little did I know that at that point, he and Neil were developing, um, having to look at developing a much larger, more versatile droid that uh, could keep up with this, this group of, of, um, of rogue rebels that um, they were actually putting together still at the time. So, yeah, that's where that droid comes from. But his name is Con. Um, K-O-H-N and I'm guessing it's kind of a play on words as being um, K-1 um, but it was yeah it was amazing to even, for them to even include me still in, in, the, in the movie for, for the few seconds that I had and um, uh, it was one of those things when I, when I turned up on set one day and they said ah oh, your parts changed slightly <laughs> you know and I was just like well, uh, how much has it changed? It says, well, okay, you know, we only need you for a few days now. And I'm like, but you still need me. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, great, awesome. So, um, so yeah, it's turned, out, it's turned out fantastic, you know. And, um, and to see the end product, I'm just happy to have been a part of that process and that conversation <laughs> that took place. <laughs> because to wear that suit on, on set and... Um, and, and, and just play around, because my scenes are primarily in Jeddah, and they had me up on the side, and I already knew before turning up that it was going to be one of those shoots where you just do your own thing, and they're going to catch it if they catch it. And so I was up on the side, I was playing around with the machine and kicking this machine and stuff like that, so I thought, okay, they've got lots of stuff there. And it was in, some, it was in the middle of some downtime, um, while they were setting up for something, that I was stood out there, and these kids came rushing up to me, and they were like, um, "Are you, are you free, are you free, PO?" And I'm like, "No, no, no, I'm L1 in my L1 voice." And um, then they saw this other amazing little droid that was like um, had half the body of R2, and on the sides had these triangular tractor treads that was pulling it that was pulling it up through the sand, which was absolutely amazing. And they were, saying, they were asking me if that was R2-D2, and I was saying no, and then I was pretending to have a conversation with it. But then these kids, obviously they knew there was a dude in the suit, but they kept talking to the droid, and that was just like feeding me um, improv material. So I was just carrying on with these kids having this amazing time <laughs> in, the middle of, in the middle of this marketplace. And um, lo and behold, it's one of those scenes that they've um, slotted into that scene in Jeddah. Ah, oh, so the kids were in costume. Yes. Ah, yes. I was just like, how do these kids get on set? How do I sneak in with them? <laughs> well, they were dressed like, you know the little girl that's there screaming and crying all on her own? Um, I do, as yeah. Tank, as, as, as the tank rolls through, they were all dressed like that. 
Um, but they were amazing. They would, they were, they remained in character, and then they moved us over to one side to a crash speeder for other options for shooting and stuff like that. And they were jumping in and around that while I was tinkering around with the machine. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was really surreal. Um, but you know, you weren't quite sure what they were capturing in the camera and what they weren't. So you just had to keep this performance going 24-7. So let me ask you about... <clears throat> so L1 was, was, yeah. was going to be K2, and then they developed the K2 droid? Or That's is that... correct. <laughs> so where, how does Alan Tudak fit into this? Like, when, like was he going to well, get in your was, suit? I, well, well, I think it was... After seeing me in the suit and knowing that they wanted to go a different route, as it, I guess as it developed and got more CG-related um, and they worked out this kind of attitude this droid was going to have, you know, um, there's, only, there's, you know, there's a guy out there who's got a bigger CV than me, man, and, and, he's, and he's done the voice for iRobot and did a brilliant job. And he came in and... Um, and they worked things out with him. Because I'm not even sure if, I don't know how much of the droid was actually conceptualized while he was there in that suit. Um, I'm not quite sure of that process at all. But um, that handoff just went really well because obviously the team from that drawing had changed and developed. And you, got, you were getting these amazing characters like Donnie Yen coming through and... and um, uh, the guy playing Cassian, there were all these um, all these characters coming, and they looked really, really good. So you needed something there that was going to have this this presence. And Alan's been doing this a while, you know. Um, and while it's kind of motion capture, I'm more than hand, more than happy to hand that off. Um, if it's physical, if you need someone in a suit, then yeah, give me a call, <laughs> you know. But it was it was it was just really surreal that day that I turned up and they said, oh, your character's changed. My only concern was, well, do you still need me? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, am I still going to be in it? You know, it was, it was just one of those. And, um, yeah, thankfully, thankfully um, I was. I mean, I was contracted for how many? I was contracted for about three months and I only did about three days' work. You know, um, so it wasn't a guarantee that they were going to even include shots of me. But it was, um, yeah, it's just a, a stroke of luck that they included me. But they've included me twice. Uh, that's, that's what I just remembered. When they first, go, the first planet they go to where we first see Cassian and he's walking through that market, but that tight, tight alleyway, yeah? Mm -hmm. On the screen... As soon as that alleyway comes up, if you're looking directly at the middle of the screen, from the middle downwards, you'll see a red L1 droid cross the frame. That is the blue L1 droid that they gave a spray, a touch-up spray job on. And that was shot in the reshoots. So there's two L1 droids in this movie. And they're both details. Absolutely. <laughs> details? We've got a... would fit. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's like, do you still need me? Yeah, dude, you're the only one that fits. All right, that's that's it. Yeah, we've, we've got on. a few people on hold that would love to uh, have a chat. Let's go to Brad in the UK. What have you got for details, Brad? Hey, uh, 
<clears throat> I was going to ask, a, like Gareth Edwards, is he really? I'm, you said you were talking to him. Is he really as amazing as he seems in interviews? Like he's so <laughs> down. To yeah, him. yeah. It's it's one of, but it's it's a strange thing because um, I've only, I've only like like you seen him in these interviews and stuff like that. But when you're face to face with him and he's just he's just he's just down to earth, but he, he's talking to you about Star Wars. You know, um, and it's—he's he's not trying to give—he's not going to give too much away by by the rest of the plot because he only talks to you about the specific scenes that he needs you in. And um, he was, yeah, he's—he's he's a very, very gentle, gently spoken guy. Um, and uh, he wasn't—he wasn't overwhelmed by by the by the project um, by any shape or or means or what he was given away. But he did have a, a very good understanding of how something was going to look on the screen, and how he how he specifically needed something to move just in case they were going to like like L one, whether L one was going to run, um, how L one would sit because it was a it was an exercise in itself um, trying to get the emotion of. Do you remember it, um, when Jin Erso's in that trans that, that transporter going to that mine? as a prisoner with the stormtrooper in the back as well and another prisoner. Um, yeah. That, 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 that kind of... That, that stormtrooper had given up all hope. I don't think he was putting in on the job anymore. I was a bit upset that, with him. But that's what Gareth was after. And, and it was about whether... It was how, how the characters were going to be able to kind of um, give that kind of a level of exhaustion or monotony um, or just... Um, lethargic attitude in terms of just you've been doing this day in and day out you know and and how are you going to respond but for a droid how is a droid going to sit there you know for this journey barely moving how much is he going to be moving um but he knew all he had all of these thoughts in his head beforehand and he would he would video little bits of it on his phone so he could take it away and, and take a, and take a look at them and or even discuss them with Neil and things like that but yeah, he, he was he was really he was a very inter, he was a very different dynamic to JJ, but you can tell that the passion was still there. JJ is excited, man. JJ is just like um, a ten-year-old, and he'll just he'll go head to head with you about how how geeky certain things are, and he'll just geek out with you over Star Wars. Um, Gareth, he's you can see it welling up inside him, and he's just really gentle about how he delivers that, you know, and saying, well, you know, like C-3PO, like C-3PO's arm or whatever. And it's just a matter of fact. And then, and then at the end of a conversation, you might smile or something or give it away that, that yeah, he's just been having this conversation. But, um, yeah, <laughs> lovely guy. Is that and how was question, the... Brad? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm going to start loving this movie even more. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was, there was no yeah. thing is there was no irate yelling from him. You know, there was this he, he he kind of shot this film like a ninja. You hardly knew he was there. And, and yeah, how would you describe yeah. the the differences in the vibes on set between the two films, uh, D? Um. Ooh, the vibe. Um. The vibe for, for for Rogue was literally getting you to that point of um, of of almost being exhausted, 
you know, you didn't know what was being shot and when it was being shot. So when you first start out and they start action, they say action, and then you go out there, maybe it's too fresh, maybe there's too much energy there, you know. Um, but gradually around, um, no matter how many times we'll be doing that in one day, they'll pick the right tone of energy that you were giving out. And you could have been on your last legs thinking, oh, my God, not another five minutes in this suit. I can't, I can't walk another few, few hundred yards. And, uh, and that would be the take. You know what I mean? So it was, it was very, very different. You knew there were cameras about, and you knew that there was a certain routine that you kind of had, or they would um, pull you out of your comfort zone and um, get you to do something else. Um, and, yeah, they, Gareth knew what energy levels he was actually looking for, you know, throughout. Um, and so, yeah, so you might do a perfect take, and you think, oh, that's great, great, great. And then he's like, no, no, we need to do that a few more times, but hang on, let me shoot this other thing first. You know, maybe you go and have lunch. <laughs> you have lunch, and you're just kind of like, man, I'm ready, I'm ready to take five, man, but I'm back in this suit, you know, okay. Um, okay, let's do a walkthrough. And you never know, that walkthrough could be what he's after. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Whereas, whereas JJ kind of... He knew it. He knew it frame for frame. And unless something um, tickled him uh, immensely, um, it would be then that would be considered to go in. You know, but he kind of knew this meticulous, um, uh, he had this meticulous attitude of, of like, I, don't, like I'm, I barely even saw a storyboard. I don't think anybody ever sees a storyboard other than the, the, the main actors and stuff. But he knew... What, what's, what one scene was going into the other, which what scene was going into the other, and what kind of energy he needed oh. to, for that to happen. Whereas hey, it, D, whereas I'll just jump in. We are going to... Sorry, D, we're just going to okay. jump off the main line, but if you're on hold, we will get to your calls, uh, and we'll go into the supporter bonus section with details. I apologise for the, uh, <laughs> the craziness of today but that's the internet for you at times uh tomorrow we've got anthony bresnikan from entertainment weekly and the day after that we've got staff davidson from uh podcasts all over the internet so tons of chances to talk star wars but we will go off into the bonus section now Anything else that you wanted to get off uh, out of details as mind? Um, that was quite a lot. Yeah, that the the personal personality that he gets into with each individual characters makes me really in. I feel like I love this movie more now. But do you th- is 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 Gareth more hands on with each individual background character than JJ or? Is it no, just a, no. Uh, I think JJ JJ's more hands-on in terms of um, really getting into how these creatures move, how they breathe, um, what kind of um, a, uh, movements that they're capable of doing, also what attitudes they're actually conveying um, within a scene, but you know, behind the these main main actors. Um, Gareth gets all of that before even shooting. You know, this move. This movie was like um, it was. 
it was almost like there was over it was overly produced in in regards to how much he had at his disposal in regards to aliens creatures droids um and and so on but with each creature like for example um Nick Kennington, who plays um, Bistan, Space Monkey, you know, um, it was all about the subtleties of of his face and and how natural, how naturally the camera could move uh, amongst these these characters of of rebels with even just a flash of of this Bistan in there, you know, um, and and not think anything of it because he's part of that crew, but then. You know, like you like you saw him when he, when he appeared um, on the on the stage um, last year. Was it no last year? Was it this year? This year. And this year. Um, there, there's a full suit there. There's a full suit. There's a, you know, and it's padded and it's designed and it's painted and it's stitched and he's got he's got hands. He's got the, you know, everything about this character. Um, so you so even if Gareth just wants to capture a head, he's not just going to get the head. He's going to get the whole damn thing. You know, but he knows with those subtleties that when he's panning around and when he's uh, um, ground level with the troops, with the camera, you know, um, he can capture just as much of them as he would do with a creature, you know. Um, whereas with, um, with um, JJ's production, and because of the style of the sagas, you know, um, the aliens are very much individually a part of that world as well. You know, so it's, and it's not so hectic and it's not so frantic in terms of uh, the tone. You know, we were in Matt's castle. Well, you don't need to have guerrilla style of filming to shoot that. Do you know what I mean? So, so with his style of filming, um, this battle, this war that was um, ensuing, um, he needed to know what he was going to be capturing depending on how he framed it. You know, and he knew that before we the cameras even started rolling. So when all the when the actors are out there and the creature performers are out there, um, like Derek Arnold as Powell, you know, Big Mouth, you know, just the subtleties, just you know, and he get, he got it, he got it, man. It was it was just uh, amazing to watch. And don't forget, man, I only know about my scene in Jeddah. I have no idea about all the other scenes that that are going to be blowing my mind when I actually sit down in the cinema. And it's like um, <laughs> the, the continuity of how it was shot in Jeddah, or you know, um, just 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 went straight smoothly into this battle and this tension that was all taking place up down up in um, Yavin. So yeah, yeah, it's. It, it's a, it's a style. It's a it's a documentary style filming, a way of filming. And um, what better to what better to use it on than than um, something to do with Star Wars, especially when it's to do with these um, these plans for the Death Star. Now, Dee, did you get to visit Yavin? Did um, you get to go off into a different studio? No. And, uh... no. <laughs> I went, no, actually, I did. I did. It was the day I didn't even get on. <laughs> I put the suit on, and um, that was when I had the chat with Neil. So I thought I was going to be getting on that day, and um, um, literally, I was just behind the scenes, and I and I spotted I spotted Dave Filoni, and I was thinking, oh damn, I'll wait till I'm in my suit and I'll, I'll chat to him. But I wasn't in my suit again after that, so, so I missed it. <laughs> 
And um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a picture of me chatting to um, to Neil as um, as L1 as Con, and um, that was that was at Yavin, where we shot Yavin. And what was it like to see like oh, those dude, sort of sets? <laughs> dude, listen, there was a. X-Wing, you know, people have seen the X-Wings full size or whatever. So, yeah, fine. And you see them out in the streets for the premieres. That's fine. But to see one on the set where everything else just reminds you of A New Hope and and these guys that are just sat down on these um, these little... They're like they're like you know those little trucks they use at airports to to, to ferry like the, the 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 luggage around. They're sat on these yeah, little yeah. boxes being driven around in their X-wing um, outfits or whatever. And I'm just like, what? And then then I then I'm, I walk around the corner and then um, you've got all the vines up the walls and everything like that. And then you've got those screens, those greens, those not green screens, but you've got those those glass screens with the green lines that they they they're looking at to oh, uh, yeah. arts and I was just like, oh, wow. I, you know, I had nothing to do that day. I'd taken the suit off, but I just had to hang around, you know. Um, but it was awesome, <laughs> awesome, just, you know. And then they were doing the rehearsals of, of walking across and then rushing to the X-Wings. I was just like, oh, my God, <laughs> oh, my God. I was almost rushing out there with them in my trainers and my cap and everything. It was just, it, it was amazing. I don't know how you went from I didn't go to Yarvin to all those memories. <laughs> I have no idea how you ju- made that jump. Well, did you thinking, see? You know, <laughs> did I shoot anything there? No, I just watched everything that you shot there. Yeah. Awesome. Did you happen to see Chopper on set, or was he a digital yes. Chopper? Yes. When I when I saw Dave Filoni, I saw I saw Chopper, and I was that was, it, it was part of that thing. I was waiting until I got him to my droid suit. Then I was going to have a conversation with Chopper. Then I was going to meet Dave Filoni and whatever, and just did not happen. But I knew I knew Chopper was there, and I, yeah, I did spot him in the film. So cool! Hey, Brad, thanks so much for your call. I'll put you back on hold, and thanks for co-hosting for most of the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Steele. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> All right, so we've got a couple more calls. Uh, we have got Ross. In the UK, what have you got for details? Hey, man. Hey, D. How are uh, you? Yeah, no, it was really interesting to... Um, I'm good, thanks. It was really interesting to hear you talk about, like, differences between JJ and Gareth Edwards. Like, Gareth's always seemed, as you said, like, quite calm. And JJ's, like, such, like, a Mr. Hollywood kind of guy. Like, he's done all these movies, like, so many movies. And this is Gareth Edwards' like third movie. Like Monsters yeah. was on a tiny, tiny budget where he pretty much did all the special effects himself on his Mac. Right. And then he went and then jumped to Godzilla. So yeah, no, it was really interesting to hear you talk about um, differences. And I think Steele actually took the question I was going to ask you about the differences in the type of vibe. Um, so I, I was just yeah, I was just going to ask you like on set or just generally from. Force Awakens or other movies, is there a type of uh, creature that like has a str- like you know a strong place in your heart, or was there anything particularly on Rogue One that you were thinking, man, I wish I played that character? Jin Erso, Jin Erso. Well, well, the thing is with JJ, he's not so much he's Mr. Hollywood. He's he's one of us. He's one of those fanboys. 
and and he has a he has a passion for these things, and his passion is so meticulous. He can he can envisage what he wants to shoot and how he wants to shoot it. You know, so you've got that excitement. I mean, on set he was. Um, in between the breaks or whatever, if he was walking across set and he saw someone with a retro T-shirt on, whether it was Star Wars or whether it was Magnum PI or something like that, he'd have something to say about it, you know. Um, but he's that's that's the kind of difference. Whereas whereas Gareth, he's kind of he's not that he's shy. It's just that he's a little bit more quiet with it, you know. It's kind of like one of those friends that you'd have. And and if you spotted someone famous in the street, or you spotted the real Darth Vader, or something like that, rather than go crazy about it, he'd he'd give you that nudge, and then you, you both sit there having a little chuckle. That's the difference, kind of thing. If that makes any it makes it a bit clearer. Mm, yeah. um, but I um, want to know more about this guy wearing a Magnum PI T-shirt on a Star Wars set. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it, well, maybe it was Magnum PI with all the moustaches. <laughs> <laughs> It was just, I think it was one of the techies. I can't remember, um, but I did remember him. I did remember him pointing it out and stuff. Um, but uh, okay, so uh, any creatures that have a place in my heart, um, I I don't know. Um, ooh, uh, I do, I do like I do like the Tauntauns, even though you know there was there wasn't that much to them. But the fact that there was this half of it was puppetry to a, to an extent where you had the close ups and then you had this um stop motion kind of um Ray Harryhausen style of of shooting these these miniatures moving around i did love that that jump from um everything kind of being uh, physically um, practical, um, coming from Star Wars, and then going into Empire, and then you've got these things, and from a, and you knew it was, you kind of knew it was a clay animation because it, it just had that exquisite movement to it. Um, but I did like those. Um, but what character from from Force Awakens or, or Rogue would I have liked to have played? Um, ooh. That's a yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I wouldn't I, see. I couldn't. I can't even say K2SO because I think Alan did an amazing job. I was just like, yep, yep, yep. He got that. He got that spot on. But um, maybe uh, I can't even say. I, no, I can't say Bistan because I know how painful those contacts were. Um, let me let me think about that. <laughs> let me think about that. Um, no, no. You know what? You know what? I love, I love um, Kratinus from from the Force Awakens. I played that character, but it was a surprise to get that character. Um, I don't think that character was even made until we realised that uh, I wasn't going to be one of those Husk Wolf characters. Um, so, so that was brilliant. But then this L one droid, because of. Um, the journey that I had in that suit, just being fitted to that suit and it being a part of this process, which is so George Lucas, which is so ILM, you know, um, they're always pushing the boundaries. You give them a design of something and they'll say, okay, and they'll give you, give you something back that's 10 times um, uh, better than you thought it was ever going to be. And I think that's the forward-thinking nature of, how um, everything is moving forward, and they're still pushing those boundaries with special effects, 
you know, um, and K2SO didn't look CG, didn't look CGI at all. It just looked like there was a droid stood there, you know, um, and maybe there was someone in a green suit with on on stilts or whatever behind it or something like that. But it looked physical. It was really really cool. But um, L1 being my first uh, possible um, character to play with the rest of the actors um, was quite significant and being contracted and uh, then getting my my own individual credit in in the credits all of these things I look man I'm a Star Wars fan and and if you haven't been able to tell but it's um, (laughs) you know all of these things you know I couldn't have even dreamt of, you know, in the back of your mind there's a vague sense of hope, like, oh, I'd love to be in a Star Wars movie, I'd love to be involved or something, you know, and to actually be there, you know, and be there involved in these things, it's something I can't take for granted for, for one bit. So so L1, the droid that I got to play, even for those few seconds, um has to be the most significant character that um, I've done to date um, for Star Wars. And, and, and that's why, I don't know if you've seen pictures of it on my Instagram or on the Jedi News um, website or anything like that, but on my cast and crew jacket, I had a blue um, Rebel logo put on the back just to represent the blue droid that I get to play. Um, and I got ward- I got the wardrobe department to set that on for me, um, and yeah, they, they yeah they did an amazing job. Um, but yeah, that that would have to be that would have to be the character for me, just because of how significant this whole experience is for me as as a fan. How's that? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward. To, uh, I'm really looking forward to looking out for for your character because I think like. There's a bit in, in Jeddah where there's, I can see like there's two kids that run, like there's a girl with like pigtails. And so I'm not yeah. sure if they're the same kids, but uh, I always really like looking out for, um, for your scenes in Force Awakens. Now that like, I know you're like, like you and Tom, like play the yeah. two characters and Tom you put a Bell. name to the characters. <laughs> and and, and uh, I really look, I really like, like looking out and, you know, that scene like is, is really like really fun and you're both like great characters. So I'm looking forward to, uh, Seen you on my third viewing of Rogue One to uh, to uh, spot you in uh, spot you in Jeddah. Yes, and and um, that opening sequence in the alleyway um, where L1 has been given a spray paint and he's red in in that yeah. shot. Um, I've forgotten what, about what's that. What's red L1 called? Um, I have no idea. I have no idea. You know what? I think that was that was done on um, as one of the, as one of the reshoots. So I think there might be more still to come in, to, in revealing the rest of the aliens um, and locals of that place. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I just thought, well, okay, I'm coming in to put that suit on again. They said, oh, no, it's a different suit. And I'm thinking, what? I said, no, no, oh, no, it's L1, but we've just sprayed him red. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but there's that. And then, But the thing is also... And that's the thing about how every, how Gareth shot everything in Jeddah. You know, you see a couple of seconds of me um, talking to the kids. You see a couple of seconds of all the other little lo- other locals, and some of them keep reappearing in the background. Like you remember in um, A New Hope, and um, there's just as 
Obi-Wan and Luke and the droids are going to the Falcon, there's like this creature with a long snout. He's black and he's hooded and he's always got these glasses on. And it's like he dubs them into the Stormtroopers. Do you remember that character? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. vaguely. And and he said something on the radio. Garidin or something. Yeah, but he's it's, it's very dark, very black. He's got a long snout type of thing, and he wears this hood thing. I spotted him hmm. in Jeddah. You know, talking about spotting that guy with the with the messed up nose and the walrus man. You know, that other creature was there, and I was like, I did, I I'm like, I didn't see him on the day, but it's amazing <laughs> the way that he shot these things as if it's just um, a natural um, part of the world. You know. Um, and obviously assuming that some of these creatures or aliens had left the planet before um, it got blown to bits. <laughs> they're all they're all Ponder Baby and into Rogue One. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good use. Now, there's there's so much talk about the the visual effects of Grand Moff Tarkin and Princess Leia. But I think amongst all that is what we forget is that K2 droid, it was there. Like, like to my mind, like, it's such an amazing effect. Like, we're all, yeah. you know, debating these humans, but we, you know, should also take a moment to go, well, there was a CGI droid that was one of the main characters. <laughs> and in my head, I didn't sort of, like I, I never thought it was CGI. Like, like John, I mean, while I was watching yeah. the film, like I was, yeah. like it wasn't like I had some disconnect. It was quite amazing the job, and also you know, kind of a cool classic Star Wars thing where the the guy in the suit is also the voice, which yeah. is um, it, it's sort of one of those sort of things that um. I, I guess sort of with C-3PO, George Lucas sort of accidentally ended up going with that. But I, yeah. I think for Star Wars fans, it's always fun to have the uh, the character doing the voice and, and in the suit. But were, were yeah. you shocked, um, D, at, at just how good that effect was? I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away. And and the thing is, it's kind of, when you're in one of those motion capture suits and you've got... Um, the droid or the creature in front of you on the screen moving um, with every gesture that you make. Um, Because of the way he was designed and he has those sloping shoulders that come down, yeah, he could be kind of like um, lethargic or or not really um, giving a damn about much, you know. And when, when when you've got the performer doing the actual voice, there's this kind, there's this synergy in in everything that you do and everything that the creature or the droid is doing. Um, even um, with most of the guys that that wear suits um, in in Star Wars, even if you've got someone that's going to do the voice for you, you know, um, you still have to deliver that performance, you know, so that. Um, whoever's doing the voice knows exactly what the inflections are unless they're going to change it so it looks kind of like offbeat but it was it was an incredible job you know but don't forget he did an incredible job on on iRobot you know and um they this this guy just came in and he just nailed it like when when he says do you want do you know the probability of her using that that thing against you and he goes i don't want to hear it and he goes it's high 
it was really <laughs> hype. That just that just floored me. It, you know, it, 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 he was he was having a moment. <laughs> you know, it was that, that was almost like the um the Larry David curb your enthusiasm <laughs> of droids, where it's like pretty pretty high. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and and you got to also remember that the emotions of that droid literally came from the tilting of those eyes, and they were just lights, you know, the mm. tilting how that how they tilted those for him to look down and then look up and and stuff like that, and it just everything about that droid and and what they did um, in interacting with that droid was incredible, absolutely. Now, was there a, a like a, a K2 on set, like a, a mocked-up one that they used for lighting references? or um, Maybe. Not that I saw. Not that I saw. I saw... Um, I got a glimpse of, of Alan a couple of times in, this, in, in, his, in his onesie. Um, but that was about it. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think everything that he was doing might have been also, if he's wearing that suit, everything's connected. So on a certain screen somewhere, someone's actually looking at what K2's doing possibly and what they might tweak here and there. But, um, but no, I didn't, see, I didn't see that. Not like with Maz, um, there was like a maquette that they brought through as well. Then um, RT, one of the um, performers, would walk through as, as Maz. And then um, Lupita, um, Lupita would, would come and stand in the position that she needs to stand in. There were several passes for Matt. But um, for, for K2, no, was, Alan was all they needed. It was, um, yeah, it's extraordinary because you would never have imagined that he was going to look like that on set. Because obviously you don't know about these things. Only, this, only certain people know what everything's going to look like. But, um, but yeah. <laughs> that is, it must be... Um... Because there's sort of like one side of you where it's like, well, seeing how the the sausage is made, it might might ruin the experience. But it it seems like you, it's a very confusing sausage factory. So once you get to have that bite <laughs> in the cinema, it's a it's a completely different experience. How's my analogy going? Um, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty much spot on. But it's not as much that it's it's kind of confusing. It's just that. There are so many people involved, you know, um, and a lot of it is need to know. <laughs> you know, if you ain't in that scene, you do not need to know, <laughs> you know. It's, 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 kind of, it's kind of one of those things. Like I said, you know, um, and Tom has said, on, uh, Tom Bell has said on, on many occasions, you know, we thought the movie was just about us in, in Madison's Castle <laughs> until we see, oh, my God, there's, there's, oh, there's, there's space. Oh, and there's Finn and there's Daisy. Who are they? They're not part of our story. You know, actually, we're yeah. part of their story. You know, it's kind, you know, it's one of those things. So, um yeah, a lot. There are a lot of surprises for for everyone involved in in these movies, especially when we go to see them. You know, um, and you know, I have to say two things. I have to say quickly is that your you know your recap. You know, you guys did a recap of um, the first reaction to seeing seeing <laughs> seeing the movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Had me in stitches. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, thanks, Dave. Right? <laughs> if anybody hasn't heard that, you've got to listen. To it. You've got to listen. To it. It's absolutely insane, but you have to listen to it. <laughs> but I think one thing I wanted to mention: one of the most amazing, outstanding performances in the movie. You know, not just the fact that 
um, Felicity carries that movie um, emotionally well because um, it's a tough ride for her. But um, Krennic, oh my goodness, when Vader force chokes him, yeah, we know you know Vader don't we know okay it's acting or whatever, but I haven't seen anyone sell that force choke as well as the first time we ever saw it used with that guy sat around the table. When Krennic is stood there and he's about, and he's kind of thinking, yeah, yeah, I've got this in the bag, yeah, yeah, so you're going to mention it to the Emperor, will you? Yeah, 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 cool, cool, thank you. And, and then he starts to choke, and then when he drops to his knees, man, I'm just like, yeah, man, you made Vader look really good just now. You just made him look awesome. I think he was awesome in that movie. Oh, that's because it's Mendo. You can't Absolutely. go wrong with Mendo. Mendo, Mendo, Mendo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Have you got got anything more for D, mate? Uh, No, no, that was all really. But uh, yeah, no, I really, really liked that. Uh, Really enjoyed that scene with uh, the uh, don't choke on your ambition. And I I, I swear at the end, there's like a little bit of a smile from Krennic. I don't know whether he's smiling because he's been allowed to live or that he just really enjoyed being choked by Vader. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was a sensual experience. You know, it was kind of one of those things. He was glad he was, he was still alive because it meant that he, there was still uh, that possibility that um, he was literally still going to be in charge. If you still need him to do something, and it's regarding this Death Star, then, you know, he's, there's still a shot. He still has a shot at it. You know, um, but that entire scene, that was that was epic. That was that was pretty good for me. And um, yeah, sorry, I misspoke like there. That was that, that was Ross on the line. I'm I'm sorry about that, Ross. I've uh, it has been a a chaotic morning for me. It's uh, <laughs> I, I lost I, I I lost the details. It was it was out of control. Well, I'd let you guys get on and uh, just wish you all like a, a happy Christmas and New Year. And uh, I'll let you uh, let you crack on. Thank you That's very right. much. Put, Same to you and yours. Put you back on hold. Thank you, Ross. Well, actually, uh, tomorrow on Anthony Bresnikan's uh, episode, we'll be talking uh, more Rogue One reactions and uh, his critical reaction. And then on, if you're in America, it will be Friday night, uh, Australia, Saturday, early afternoon at 1pm, UK, 2am. But we'll be talking with Saf Davidson and we'll be looking for your Star Wars Christmas memories as it will be Christmas Eve in Australia. And I'll put it up nice and quick so we can all relive those memories of when uh, either we were little or our children were little or we just thought we were little. But we've got another call it is 612. Who are you and where are you calling from? Uh, this is Josh from Minnesota. Hey, Hi, Josh, Josh from Minnesota. What do you got for details? Well, I was wondering if he knew anything about what was changed by the reshoots in the movie. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, um, I, was only, I only know about a few. Um, like I like I was saying, the opening sequence um, with um, Cassian coming through that alleyway, and li- and um, I think that whole opening sequence, I think that may have been um, a complete reshoot and an add to um, to the story, just to give uh, more of an introduction to um, to Cassian and 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 the type of guy that he actually is. Um, 
And um, what other bits? Um, and, uh, and well, how yeah, good was that? Uh, how good uh, was other, that only, opening scene, bits. though? Sorry. Like, how good was that opening scene as as like a world building scene with that octopusy thing getting cooked up? And I, I just yeah. I, I found that lane. I wanted to be in that lane forever. Yeah, yeah. It was, and 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 the thing is, it was it's something that you, that you haven't really ever seen before because it was so cramped in 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 that alleyway. There was so much going on. Normally, you'd see like a wide street. Um, uh, and everything kind of spaced out, but this told you that there was a different kind. This was a different kind of place, you know, um, more um, factory-based um, in terms of uh, the factories taking up more space than than there is for for any life forms or, or anything like that. And um, yeah, it was it was really cool. But then also. You know, it was it was quite dark because you got a side of Cassian that kind of um, worked into the rest of the movie about well, look, you know, we need that guy dead, we'd kill him. You know, it was kind of you knew this guy had the stones to do it. You know, but um, yeah, when you watch it, D, yeah, like, do you you know because you were on that set, like. Do you just like does that like when you're watching the film does that drift away or do you think just one meter to the side there's like Dolores from um, <laughs> you know like casting or something like 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 do you like when you watch it back do you totally detach yourself or you can sort of think that just like just offset there's there's oh there's Phil no it moves too fast. It moves too fast for that because don't forget we get full days of um, being on that set, breaking for lunch, then coming back to that set, um, and there may be a couple of days involved, um, and one day might be taken up just by shooting that alleyway alone, you know, or two days, and then you know the third day is um, Cassie and meeting the guy around the corner to have that conversation, you know, it's it. The, the days are longer than obviously the shots that are put into those movies, so it moves at such a pace you're you're being pulled through. Um, obviously, when we have the cast and crew screening, you kind of watch to see, oh yeah, am I in that scene? Am I? Oh, there I am. And then you're you're noticing who else is in that scene. But because it's so short and so brief, you then get taken places um, that that you weren't involved in. You know. Um, Looking like looking for um, uh, oh what's what's the what's it Saw Guerrera you know like where was that shot was that shot at Pinewood see I don't even know <laughs> you know but that's spliced in between that's spliced in between um, the scenes at Jeddah so no it moves it moves way too fast it moves way too fast for that um, but uh, what was what was the question again what was the question oh what was changed by the reshoots. Okay, um, right, so I know about that alleyway and that beginning shot. Um, but we're, the, other, the other bits are just pretty much how everybody else is kind of working, working their way through it in regards to what was seen in a trailer and what wasn't. Um, but then at the same time, these things are overshot so that you've got options. Um, and I don't know if they're shooting, shooting things to test out um, a few different plot 
twist or a few different plot endings or anything like that, and they're shooting it all, and they're saying, no, no, it's better if we keep it a bit more tighter, or actually, let's expand this next section or whatever. I have no idea. Um, but they've got the technology, they've got the time, they've got the actors committed to, to these parts to, um, to overshoot. And if they're saying, oh, let's just try something out, you know, you have no idea. That could be all they need to, to go into those scenes. But um, it, it, never seemed, it never seemed like um, they were panicking. It, seemed, it almost seemed like they knew exactly what they were doing. And they were piecing this thing together and saying, oh, yeah, oh, we just need an extra shot over here. Because they weren't using green screens, a lot of it was um, set builds. Um, why not build the set up again? But we, we took that down last week. Oh, no, we need that up next week. No, they, so they will build, but you build it. You know? Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so, so while everyone else was panicking, saying, oh, my God, they're, they're in trouble, they're in trouble, it, it didn't seem like that. <laughs> it, it seemed like they knew exactly what they were doing. Um, but, yeah, and, and whether, it, whether it was already organized to bring on extra directors or, or directors or writers for um, different sequences, you know, to create a bit more tension maybe, um, they, it seemed like they, they knew what they were doing. But we didn't feel that, that there was a panic, um, which obviously is reassuring because you don't want to be a part of, of something and you're thinking, oh, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know. No, they seemed, they had an idea what they were doing pretty early on. And I think a lot of what was shot was overshooting just to cover certain idea possibilities they may have had. Yeah, Garrett so, definitely so, seems like the guy that would uh, overshoot a movie. Yeah, well, hey, it's D- Disney are paying. <laughs> Disney, <laughs> Disney are paying. And ILM are saying, what else do you need? You know, that's the level of, of um, meticulous uh, storytelling these guys are doing. You know, no, one's, no, one's, no one talks about how much these films cost. No, you know, it's not a conversation you can have. You just know it's a lot of money. You know, um, and on set, you know, where, and you've got, Kath, you've got um, Kathy Kennedy passing through. And, yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's like... If we can overshoot, let's overshoot. We've got these actors contracted for this amount of time. Um, the studio is committed to um, building and making anything you need, um, sometimes, you know, at last minute. So um, why not make good use of that? Um, it's very consistent with how they um, move forward with their um, editing. I mean, I was watching the director's commentary um, on, I think it was, was it, yeah, The Phantom Menace, because I was doing all three of them. And um, George Lucas was just talking about how he had to take out, had to take the part, take um, uh, Padme's guard from one scene and place him in another scene in this, in this, um, in this ship because he had to coordinate between where Qui-Gon was and where Obi-Wan was standing. And he just, you know, he just took this character and he just spliced him straight into the shot. And you could never tell that he wasn't even in the shot in the first place, or he was stood elsewhere. And it's just like, wow, it's just really meticulous piecing together of, of, of this, um, of telling these stories. So um, for me, it just seemed like, well, okay, they just do what they do. This is a different kind of filmmaking. This is, you know... Um, this is really, really meticulous work. Yeah, it's not like George would just CGI everything in there. (laughs) 
you know, sometimes he might, but it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of like, um, it, it, yeah, it's like there's also another scene. There's another scene. There's um, a scene where I think it's Revenge of the Sith, and um, I think it's Anakin. He's just leaving after telling Padme, oh, the, the Jedi Council are, are, are crazy, and, you know, um, but I'm not telling you, I've just killed them all. And um, C-3PO walks down the steps, and if you know C-3PO's costume, you can't walk down the steps in those costumes. So he was completely CG, you know, and then when it cut to him again, it was actually in the suit. You know, it's, it's just it's, it's an extraordinary way of filming. Um, and it's like, it's like watching, I think they've been referred to as wizards, but I think they actually are real wizards because what they, what they do is it, it, kind of, it kind of sells a lie to your eye. <laughs> you know, um, and you would never even know it, and unless they're telling you about it, 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 it it's what it is. You know, like like um, still saying K two S O. Just you know, you don't stop to think. He's CG. He's just like man, that, that dude, that robot looks like he's there. Very cool. Well, Josh, uh, thanks so much for calling in. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Thanks for the uh, taking my call and great show. Cheers, man. Thanks so much. Hey, Dee, yes. what is it like at that cast and crew screening where you don't know if you're in the film or not? Like, <laughs> like, like, is it is it a relief to see your first appearance and then you can settle back and enjoy the rest of the film? Um, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's, it was, uh, it was, there was two things. I didn't know if, um, he made it into the movie. I didn't know what particular thing I was doing was going to end up in the movie. Um, with, with, with Kratinus, you know, there's going to be a lasting shot. So, you know, it's, it's not, not too far a guess or a stretch for that. But with um, with K two, there was like I said, there was a bit where I, I spent some time up on the side, just doing some some improv business. Then there was some stuff stood down, walking through the market and walking about. And then obviously um, it kind of settled with with me chatting to um, the children, and then um, going off to one side where they were um, climbing on a down speeder while I was tinkering around with it um, for parts or something. So, so you had no idea what shot, if um, if any, um, it was going to be, um, and uh, it, it started off well. I spotted I spotted the red um, L1 in the marketplace doing that little quick thing, um, and then uh, once it reached Jeddah, it's kind of like you, you, yeah, you're following the story, but it's like yeah, man, when am I going to turn up? Am I when when when? And they went to Jeddah a couple of times before you even get to see. Um, see me in that scene so so each time i'm on the edge of my seat thinking oh well oh oh no not this scene oh oh and and then when it did it 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 happened so quick that yes all of a sudden there's a sigh of relief oh oh my goodness and then you don't realize that there's another one building as you're getting closer to the end of the movie um hoping to see your name amongst um all the other creature guys and and droid and puppeteer guys and, and things like that and um, uh, I, I was expecting that, possibly, because my part had changed. So I thought, well, not, they don't have to commit themselves to the contract and, and keep me 
as a cast member and, and credit me as such. And um, when that happened and I saw that, that just kind of, yeah, that just, that just blew me away. Um, but then, like I said, and you know me, it's kind of everything's so emotionally charged with, with every experience that I'm having um, with, with these Star Wars films that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big emotional thing. <laughs> so I've, I've so cool. you, I've got to ask you. Have you you've seen it you've seen it again since since your last um first reaction right yep yeah um how did how did it sink in that time because because when after on your first reaction there was you, you really did sound really overwhelmed <laughs> by what you seen. yeah well the whole thing's overwhelming with the whole event and you know it's by the time we're doing the podcast it's two thirty in the morning um yeah. I've got to stop doing that um <laughs> but I can't the i I, I found it like watching it the second time, like, like I loved it the first time, but so much yeah. more enjoyable the second time because I don't know, the pressure's off and you can sort of yeah. just, just take it in. And, and, and it's a weird thing where we're used to have seen, like it's, it's weird to watch a star Wars film for the first time We're we're yeah. used to knowing exactly what's coming up next. It, it, it's That's like this, right. Weird, right. this weird part of it. But, what was it like at at, at celebration? You'd, you'd filmed all this stuff, and we're hanging out, and we're all sitting around the table gibbering about the trailer and stuff. And you are a rock solid ship. Details you did you, you were you were just taking in the conversation, adding very little. Um, what is it like to have all these little Christmas presents inside your brain? <laughs> It's oh, it was torture and agony because um, I think um, we had discussed. I think no, I think you showed me a picture on your phone or on on Twitter or something um, of the original lineup, and I just you know I'm looking at me in that picture. You don't know I'm even in that picture <laughs> as as an artist's <laughs> drawing. You know, it's it's insane. You know, um, <laughs> but it's uh, it's. You know, you know what what the deal is. It's like um, I understand it like this. A lot of people say, a lot of people feel that oh, um, it's Star Wars being precious and 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 it's about keeping secrets and all this type of stuff, and and um, it's just for hype or whatever. And I'm like, no, it's not just for hype. You know, um, when it's all about Star Wars, the first movie changing cinematic history and changing the process entirely of how a film is made or can be made um and and having an idea like that and a whole industry kind of black blacklist you and so you can't get any kind of trailers out you can't get um the advertising um that you want out to sell your movie so people know what it's all about when they go to see it and yet after all of that you know um uh, it um, it blew up in the industry's face because that secrecy is what blew everyone's minds away. They didn't know what they were expecting to see, and then they got mm. that. You know, <laughs> you know, you've never seen a spaceship like that before. You've never seen creatures. You've never seen um, laser blasts like that before. You've never seen a story like this before. 
um, well, told this way. You've seen, yes, your fairy tales and your wizards and your princes and your princesses, but not like this, not with laser, laser swords and, and, um, and weird talking creatures that certain people can understand. You know, it hadn't been done like that before, and it blew everybody away. And just through sheer word of mouth alone, you know, that movie was successful. And it had nothing to do with the advertising um, uh, by those companies that wanted nothing to do with it because it was going to be a turkey as far as they were concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, so why not honor that tradition by keeping it a secret? So it's a surprise for those people that are actually involved in it, those people that are, um, like coming to the cinema to see these movies without knowing too much about them. Um, it's like you were saying in one of your other podcasts, you know, as you get closer to the release of these movies, no one wants to see the next trailer. No one wants to hear anybody talking about it or, or see a post about it. You know, it's like, okay, no, no, I don't, I've had enough now. I just want to go and see this movie and take it all in and be blown away. You know, and that is um, part of a, a tradition. It's the same thing with the marketing that we know goes in absolutely insane. You know, you'll have BB-8 soap, you know, you know, all kinds, manner of things. But this is because we know way back in the 70s, they were like, you want, you, you want, you want your own merchandising? Yeah, of course you can have that. No one had ever made any money off merchandising before. You know, but George did, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it funded Empire as well as the movies. And they funded... Um, uh, Jedi and ILM got developed and things like that. And so it's constantly still changing the face of cinema, whether you're aware of ILM's involvement in the most mundane um, films out there to the most extreme films out there. Um, this is what the franchise is about, you know, um, and to be able to, to be honored with a secret, <laughs> you know, as small as it is, because I thought that, because, you know, at that point, I, don't, I haven't got a clue what the story's about. I have no idea of what's happening in any other scene. But I get to um, honor the franchise and honor George um, uh, and Lucasfilm by, and Disney by not saying a damn thing. You know, it's, it's a beautiful secret to have, but it's, it's, it's painful because, like you said, man, you've got to hold on to that thing for a year. <laughs> And, and and do you know what else? Do you know what I've just what realized? Else? You've what probably got else? more secrets now. You've probably got more secrets. <laughs> Say no more, D. Say no more. I'm not going to go there, buddy. I'm not that type of friend. I'm not that type of friend. Hey, um, what, what was, what was, what in, as a viewer, what was your highlight moment in the film? Um, like I said, I mean, one of the big moments for me was, was that moment with Krennic selling that force choke. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't say this lightly, but you know what? This guy deserves an, an Oscar nomination at least because it was so complex in regards to um, uh, his ambition and um, how he was striving. And you mentioned it in, in one of your first reactions in a sense that you know, he's at, he has this, all this ambition, and Tarkin's just playing him for a fool, waiting to take it all from him, you know, and he's getting more and more desperate in having to clean up um, the messes um, that um, Jyn Erso's father uh, is creating for him. Um, and it's so ego, 
um, and pride-driven that he doesn't even see it coming, you know. And I think when he's smiling after meeting Vader, I think he's thinking, okay, right, I've still got one up on Tarkin now, you know. Um, not knowing that um, his his days were numbered in, in when he had to go down to Scarif, so um, it was it was a brilliant performance. I haven't seen a villain that good since um, uh, Mr. Smith in The Matrix, you know. Um, but Krennic was he was twisted, you know, and. Just that opening section, you know, um, I'm really sorry to hear about your wife and whatever, you know, okay, cool, go search the house. What? <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay, this guy ain't playing, oh, you know, and... The, um, the, the bit where was, yeah. he goes, he goes, oh, my commiserations, and then it's like, yes. look, <laughs> she's come back from the dead, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. I was, <laughs> I, I, that, that, that type of sarcastic humor i was just like yes mendo yeah. go mendo yeah you know and 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 you know with 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 all villains where it's good versus evil and stuff like that you need a really good villain this guy was was he was a human being um to some degree um driven um by um by his ego and um, by his um, want for success and want for praise, you know, that was going to... It's like somehow, like, if the emperor had said, oh, yeah, job well done or whatever, it would have, you know, eased all his burdens and all, you know, I have no idea, but that's the kind of thing he was after. He just wanted to be in the emperor's pocket so that he didn't have to deal with people like Tarkin. You know, he wanted to be the next one down. Um, he was always going to come second to Vader, Becoming second to Vader ain't ain't bad because Vader's the only Jedi esque or Sith um, in the room. So you know there's no competition. But if you're the next human being in that, in those ranks, it means that you've got an element of stability and you can possibly live a little bit longer than the rest. Um, but he was extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary performance. Um, but then it's you know. It's what they invested in in terms of the story. You then get sucked into them getting picked off one by one, you know, and that's heavy. That's heavy, and it's just like, whoa, okay, man, I'm feeling it now. I'm feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? See, uh, I, 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 I still have to. I think I have to watch it a few more times to nail it. Like that, 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 the battle, like the, the battle over. Um, Gareth, the space battle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty into. I'm I'm pretty yeah. into. I, I I loved that a lot. Um, I just as far as like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Uh, yeah. the, the Darth Vader hallway scene was just like some bizarre. <laughs> it, it felt like I was watching a bizarre dream I was having. That you know just what's beautiful scene, about that scene? What's beautiful uh-huh. about that scene? is that um, he's not going crazy like Anakin. He's not, he's not lightsabering like Anakin was in Revenge of the Sith or anything like that. He's doing it in the same style he's about to have a fight with Obi-Wan with. You know, um, so he's very, very still, lots of arm movements or whatever and, and, and sword play, but he's very, very calm as he, as, he, as he keeps striding forward. He doesn't break a step. 
He doesn't flinch. He, it's just like um, knocking those lights, uh, um, blazer bars back, putting the guy up in the ceiling. That was sick, man. And and he cut the dude in half when when they, when he wasn't even looking at the guy. You know, he'd already passed him, and he just oh, back swung, cut him in half. You know, and then he pulled the guns out of their hands, which we're about to see in Empire Strikes Back. Um, then he force chokes another one, and like you know, and that. <laughs> that genius shot of of him putting the the laser through the through the guy um and through the door you know but but that was what was beautiful about that it was relentless but it was done with the same style you're about to see him battle with Obi-Wan and the same style that he carries on when he has a fight with um with Luke in Empire that's what was exquisite about that you know and you know just the opening of that <laughs> you know it's just black and in his breathing and then the lightsaber switches on you know i would you know i don't even know why they bother shooting if i saw that it's just like you know what i'll shoot myself just run out an airlock what are you doing no point shooting at listen i'm I'm taking my own all right i'll see you guys later you do what you want to do that's what i would adam you know, some people have said, you know, he, he's a bit too, like, aggressive or lively compared to the Obi-Wan battle. But, like, I think you can sort of, in your, like, your in-universe head, like, obviously mm. you're going to be a lot more, um, like, pensive when you're going up against your old Jedi Master compared to just a bunch of soldiers with, like, blasters where he can just go... Like, you know, he, it, it's just not even a competition. But with Obi-Wan, he had to be a lot... Like, you can't just, you know, yeah. like, get like use the Force to get a lightsaber out of someone's hand when they're a Jedi because they've got, like, the, the powers as well to uh, fend that off. So yeah. I, I think that that is a, a pretty... Um, like, in my mind, I, I don't really have... And, I, and I'm always fascinated with things that people, like you know, certain fans have issues with this, but not with that, and, and vice versa. Yeah. But, well, well, like, look, for me... You know, we, we saw them sending off laser blasts um, throughout, the, throughout the prequels, you know, um, and it's almost like it's, it's second nature to them. You know, they know where the blast is going to be before it even gets there. That's, you know, the, the force, you know, um, understanding what they're doing with a, a lightsaber. But when you're, when you're up against another um, foe with a lightsaber... You don't know how they're going to strike you. That's why it's such a it's such a um, a, a battle. It's like a, it's like a what do you call it? It's like a samurai battle. You know, you have no idea where they're coming at, how they're going to come at you, um, and whether they're going to use the force while they're doing it. Um, it's a different game when you're when you're when a Sith is fighting a Jedi or a Jedi is fighting a Jedi compared to when you're fighting a human being. You know, who's only armed with a blaster. You know, they're, they're two different contexts. Um, and, um, you know, yeah, you know, even, you know, I think, I think you needed to see that, that, um, uh, that cruel nature within, within Vader. You had to see that darkness within him so that when we, you know, because by the time this movie finishes, you know it's about an hour later, you know, and they've caught right back up with them and um, Leia's hiding the plans in R2. So you're thinking, well, about an hour, in about an hour's time, you guys are going to get it anyway. So when he then comes through those doors, you know what there is to be afraid of. 
you know. Yeah. Um, I think I think that set up that's that interesting set up really well. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, and, and of course, when I, I when you sort of look at it now, the the Obi Wan and Darth Vader fight, it's almost like they're just they're having a bit of a catch up chat. And and, yeah. and the lightsabers are sort of just like to test each other out sort of thing. And then it, it's, a, it's an interesting sort of game of chess they're playing there where they're sort of, they've got a few things to say to each other. They've got a, a few built yeah. up emotions over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling each other out kind of thing. But, but then also there's this sense that Obi-Wan um, has no intention of winning in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, and regardless of whether um, it was because um, Yoda from Revenge of the Sith sent him out to learn how to com- communicate with Qui-Gon Jinn and, um, and learn how to uh, um, manifest or, or control this force ghost thing or whatever, you know, it, it makes no difference because he says to he already he knows by the time he says, but if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. He already knows that going into the fight. Exactly. You know, hey, um, D, we have literally yeah. got 20 seconds left on our available time. It was <laughs> so good to talk to you, man. I'm sorry it was uh, so chaotic, but I'd love to uh, let's let's make another time and we'll we'll talk some more wars. Yes, definitely, definitely. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. On Thanks your show so much, deal. man. It's a, a treat to catch up with you. Mendo, I'm not sure Mendo, are we. Mendo. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you guys, I hope you enjoyed that extended edition with the supporter bonus locked in for details. What a treat D is. If you enjoyed getting the bonus hour, this is what I ask of you. Pod it forward, please. Give it a retweet. Give it a share on Facebook. Drop an Instagram image about it or get on iTunes. It takes... 20 seconds and write a sweet five-star review that would be great that can be your christmas present to me after i got you a christmas present an extra hour of bonus content in an already chock full december rss feed of hashtag content i hope everyone has a awesome christmas kwanzaa day off holidays whatever it is to you I, uh, I hope you're safe. I hope you're well. And also keep checking back on the feed because we'll have our Christmas call-in show up almost straight away after this. So uh, I'm very much trying to keep you company if you are traveling or uh, your ears are free over this exciting but sometimes uh, lonely time if you are i'm around family but my wife is in america so if you're like me my my heart goes out to you and uh, i wish you guys the best of times may that force be with you